Welcome to Malpractice Podcast. So, are you ready to get started? Yeah. <laughs> yes, it was my turn. You like saying it? I do like saying it. So, I'm Sydney. And I'm Jess. And welcome, welcome to our podcast. Yeah, Malpractice Podcast. How you doing? Well, I think I'm fine, actually. <laughs> Normally, I'm like, it is the worst day of my life, but it's not too bad. Things are good. Yeah, it's fine. We're drinking coffee. We mm-hmm. are in an effort to improve our sound quality. <laughs> We're sitting in a closet. <laughs> As two highly critical people of ourselves, um, it's been a real learning curve when we thought we would just push record and get a beautiful sound. Yeah, podcasting is hard. They don't tell you that. They don't. Well, I think that they do, but we didn't read those negative things. Who tells we don't, you? We don't like negative <laughs> no. feedback. We didn't take negative criticism well. And, well, I would say we got some feedback that our sound could be improved, and so we moved our happy asses into a closet. <laughs> yeah, shout out to my uh, coworker, Val, who harshly told me our sound was bad but it's helpful now we are in a closet on the ground um we were potentially going to be under a blanket recording because that's how serious we are about delivering yeah. the best possible quality like also, where do we need to be yeah we also got this feedback from our chief sound engineer eric <laughs> <laughs> my husband that's his new title. his new title has changed and will change progressively. Yeah, that's just the way of the world, really. So thanks, thanks to those people, because I really do. I mean, we need it. We need yeah. the feedback. Also, if you yeah, are listening learning. and you're like, I would like to be in that focus group of feedback givers, send us an email. Please send us an email, malpracticepodcast at gmail.com or DM us on our social because we authentically want to do this well. And just because the quality of what we're presenting, we take so much pride in and, and it's we think it needs to be shared. So we want to do it in the best possible way. Yeah. We want to make it a fun listening experience for our audience too. And not annoying. <laughs> <laughs> That's always the I goal. I say that because my I feel like my voice is annoying. No, it's I'm not. not asking for feedback on that though. <laughs> so please don't <laughs> send that. Just don't at me don't, about it. No. Um are you ready to move? Are you? No, I'm not ready to move. Um, we're packing right now. We're moving. Wait, do I say where we're moving to? Because people yeah. are going to track me down and yeah, they're going to stop. Be you, crazy. But... Yeah, all three of you out there. <laughs> one of them is my wife who knows exactly where I'm moving. The other one is Eric. <laughs> um, yeah, we're we're getting ready to move. I'm excited. Um, I want to live in Austin for a while. Yeah. I know you know that. I know you're mad. I am mad. <laughs> but our third listener from Sweden might stalk you. <laughs> I want to meet someone from Sweden. We have a listener from Sweden. I know. Shout out to you, friend. Shout out to you all the way in Sweden. What else was I going to say? Oh, wait. What the fuck? Wait. What I will say is um, a new article came out that my boss told me about recently. Um and I wanted to address it because I think it's really interesting and something that definitely needs to be sort of looked at in the future. They found that, uh, this makes me so sad, they found in a recent study that black babies cared for by white physicians mm-hmm. are much more likely to die yeah. than if they're cared by, cared for by black physicians. I 100% believe that. And they controlled for um, 
income level and they controlled for like maternal education and things like that. And so, well, I'm, I'm honestly, this sounds so gross, but I'm not surprised because yeah. it's, I mean, there's just implicit bias yeah. and what is it like unconscious bias that people yeah. have that, that do, I mean, you even said, uh, I don't know if it was last episode or a couple episodes ago that, um, people like doctors at some point and still now felt like black, people do not experience pain the same way which yeah. is just like that's a psychotic belief like, yeah as a medical professional um and you know I have my founding mother of my sorority is like a per she's a very smart Jamie Slaughter um she is like a an academic in that space yeah we should interview her I am obsessed with her and I will text her right now our listeners can be obsessed with her too you should be all four of you <laughs> <laughs> who do we add um <laughs> oh i think we got a new one just now <laughs> oh, maybe it's jamie keeping up with the statistics <laughs> so um yeah I, I i wanted to talk about it i guess just bring it to the public attention because um i'm in a responsible conduct of research course right now and my my boss teaches it who's actually my faculty advisor teaches it and she talked about this article and started crying in class because she was like, I can't imagine that we live in a world where, like, children are being affected by this. But what I will say is I do think that medical education is catching up and they're mm. doing a lot better now with, like, teaching and targeting implicit bias in people. So I think the world, um, you know, it's so weird that this that you brought this up because in my job my um work best friend rose shout out to rose if she's listening but um she just did an international presentation on mm -hmm. intersectionality and bias and privilege and she made a point to to mention people think privilege is a negative connotation but it's really an opportunity yeah to like acknowledge and give platform and to raise awareness and that's like what the i think every section of business or industry is mm -hmm. doing right now acknowledging yeah. like yeah there's a lot of issues and yeah. you have you have to say it and like speak it and give it voice so that you can make you know changes substantial yeah. changes and I really think the whole Black Lives Matter movement brought a lot of that into the public focus because it's it's existed forever 100%. right mm -hmm. but I think it brought a lot of that into focus and so um yeah I mean it's like the first step is always going to be acknowledging that it exists. So mm -hmm. maybe with studies like this and knowing that these things exist, people can start to target their own bias. Yep. And and to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. It's like the biggest skill that you can have is to be willing to like actually listen, put aside your defensive mechanism that like yeah. jumps to protect you and your opinions and beliefs and listen yeah and be like oh that's true yeah and avoid being I guess defensive yeah. about like when if someone brings up a statistic like this I know I know a lot of people in the medical field and no one is ever trying to say like oh doctors are doing this on purpose or mm -hmm. oh they're not they're not doing enough because like everybody knows your job is hard and everybody knows like doctors nurses hospital staff like everybody knows your job is hard I think it's just bringing focus to things that affect you, that that are affecting people. Yeah. And, and, you know, like, affecting, like, babies that are, like, before the first year 
And mothers, too. And mothers, yeah. The, maternal the mortality way, rate is higher in black in te- women, too. And in Texas, the maternal mortality rate is ridiculous. Yeah. I just think it all comes back to, like, power and the power dynamics and our representatives and, like, who is speaking for us and making these policies and laws that we follow. And the laws are reflective of the people who have the ability to make those mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think a big part of that is just bringing things into the public attention. So that's kind of why we're here, I guess. Yeah. Way to bring this fucking bummer bummer town. Well, I have a a story today that's not a huge bummer. Um, But before that, are you like, are you listening or watching anything that you like or I'm um, reading anything? Always watching The Office. And then I'm reading, um, I actually have like three books I need to decide between. I need to bring you that one on Eliza Hamilton mm-hmm. too. It's like a set aside because you know I'm packing everything. Yeah, we're obsessed with Hamilton. Oh, yeah. A thousand percent. What about um, you? I know you listen to all the crime things. Yeah, my my secret obsession, or I guess not really secret if you know not me. Not at all. Is a true crime podcast. So I recently, I always listen to My Favorite Murder um, Don't they sing that? My favorite <laughs> yeah, murder. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I actually, they just put out a book. And so I bought their book. Oh my God. It's coming in on Tuesday. That. I'm so excited. I'll send it to you when I'm done. Okay, perfect. You have to send it to me now because I'm moving. Yeah. Or Ooh. drive it to you. <gasps> yeah, come visit it's me. It's not that far away. It's not. Also, I started one called Crime Junkie. Crime Junkie is good. It's pretty good. Um, and then Phoebe Judge's Criminal is... Maybe my all-time favorite. I do. It's so I like good. Her. I'm Phoebe Judge. I'm and Phoebe this Judge. And this criminal. is criminal. She's so good. Yeah, yeah. she's like good. She's a very soothing voice, mm, mm-hmm. and she talks about stories that are like really interesting. So if you're looking for a good true crime, I listened to one episode, and mm-hmm. I can't remember where it was, but this town like people maimed themselves for the insurance money. Oh my god, yes, in this like swamp, right? And I was like, what? It was like a happening? Florida swamp. Yeah, they would like cut off their left arm and their right leg, and they had like the highest rate yeah. of like limb loss mm-hmm. anywhere in the country. Yep, for like no reason. Yeah, I was like, so you just Y'all just some crazy wild. stories. So, uh, Sid, before we get started with your story, we need to tell the our listeners, our Mal pals, um, the choice we've made on like language and descriptive language for um, doctors, scientists, any real professionals here. And we're going to do our best to be like really inclusive with our language. And um, we are like not super excited about criticism, except in if we are not being inclusive. So if you ever hear something with the topics we cover, with the way we identify, Mm. with the way we identify people in our stories, with the way we address um, gender and Mm -hmm. sex and race and things like that, we always want to be inclusive. So if we're ever using a term that people are not comfortable with, or if there's something that we can learn from you about how to be more inclusive, like just at us, directly at us. Yeah. Send us a DM, send us an email. Come at us. If it's about anything else besides being inclusive, we do not want to hear it. <laughs> yeah, but we're down for this. But we're down for inclusive criticism. So. Yeah. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. I'm scared. So, yeah. No, I know you okay. said not to be because this is not a sad story, but mm, I, don't, yeah. I don't trust anything. No, anymore. that's fair. Today, I'm going to switch it up a little and I'm going to talk to you and all of our mal pals about an emerging medical science technology that's called CRISPR. And I'm going to talk to you about that in the context of human genome editing. Specifically, I want to talk to you about 
a couple of children from China who were the first known individuals to be born with edited genomes. And I feel like it doesn't sound like that much, right? But it was a huge scientific scandal. It doesn't um, sound like much right now because I'm not 100% sure what a genome is. Don't worry, I'll talk about it. Oh, I love a scandal. Oh, yeah. I love a medical scandal. I love a legal scandal. We're always here for a scandal. So I'm going to go through in this episode what CRISPR editing is. Don't worry. I'll cover what a genome is. Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Why the whole thing was such a big deal and kind of the direction where human genome editing is headed and some really important players were like really cool. So I'm going to start with what is CRISPR. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you've been living under a rock for the Hi, last 10 me. years. I've been living under a rock. <laughs> I'm Patrick Star. <laughs> no, this is Patrick. <laughs> um, you've probably heard the term CRISPR at least, but I'm going to explain a little bit about what it is and what it does. Um, CRISPR or CRISPR-Cas9 is a genetic engineering technique that is really commonly used in molecular biology. So lots of biology labs working today that use animals or bacteria as model organisms Mm -hmm. are probably currently using CRISPR-edited organisms because it's becoming super common. Since the early 1990s, genome editing techniques have been continually evolving. CRISPR technology was invented in 2009, and shortly thereafter, really incredible things started happening with it. Incredible good or incredible bad? Incredible good. Oh, okay. In 2012, two really cool scientists named Dr. Jennifer Doudna and Dr. Emmanuel Charpentier, who has maybe the best name in the history of the world, I love her name, Mm -hmm. announced that they had found a way to edit genomic DNA, which is widely considered to be one of the most significant discoveries in modern biology. I won't go too into the science of it, but basically genome editing technology lets scientists change the DNA sequence of an organism which can be specifically targeted to change traits like your eye color or your risk for disease and things oh, like wow. that. Is this what um, people with lots of money do to have like kids like that look a specific way? We're going to get into that. They yeah. do? They use this or no? It's not technically legal in most countries right now to do this. But Did they do it. It's debatable whether people are doing it now or not. I mean, I feel like they do it. <laughs> <laughs> So the Cas9 technology acts like a pair of scissors and sort of snips the DNA. Mm -hmm. And then basically CRISPR is used to add or take out bits of DNA. And that changes what the genes produce. So it has a ton of potential in terms of curing and treating human diseases, especially human diseases that have a genetic component like cancer. Researchers are now using it to investigate human diseases in other animals like mice and fish. Mm. Because we share a great deal of our genome or our genetic map in common with other organisms like mice, so scientists can alter, add, or delete certain genes and check to see how it affects the health of the animal. So they can then do things like watch their symptoms, check their behavior, and test out potentially life-saving drugs and even work on the development of gene therapies. I know it's going to be a shock to you, but I don't know what the fuck gene therapies (laughs) are. Can you tell me? Yes. So gene therapies are basically treatments that involve using genome editing technology like CRISPR to prevent and treat diseases, especially hopefully one day in humans. So for instance, 
We understand a lot about the genes involved in diseases like cystic fibrosis. People who suffer from CF have a specific set of mutations. And when I say mutations, it's kind of an area of problematic DNA, which may cause the disease, right? Mm -hmm. And they have these mutations. Is this what they say when they say you have the gene for this? Is what it means? Yeah. Damn, I know a lot of stuff. Look at at what TV has taught me. Exactly. Thanks, TV. Best teacher. (laughs) So these people have mutations in both copies of a gene called CFTR. So by using gene editing technology, in theory, you would be able to go in and make changes to the problematic DNA. And these changes would be permanent and have a lasting effect on the CF disease itself. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. And it sounds really simple. But it's actually incredibly complex. For instance, cystic fibrosis, which we actually know a lot about, may be caused by one or more mutation in the CFTR gene, but there are over 1,700 possible mutations. So different patients would require different gene therapies. Oh, wow. Okay. And because we don't know everything about how those genes interact with the rest of the genome, there's a possibility that like off-target or unintended consequences could happen too, right? And those probably happen in the little mice. Yeah. Um, Who is advocating for the mice in this situation? Uh, There are lots of animal rights advocates. And like universities usually have, for instance, like at our school, we Mm -hmm. have a vet who's on staff that comes in and checks the animal welfare regularly. Not that I um, give a shit about mice specifically. (laughs) I was just curious because I know you do research on tadpoles and you have to uphold like certain standards Mm -hmm. of care. Yeah, so there's animal welfare people who, like, come and and check on everything, and and they're always kind of keeping us on our toes. (laughs) (laughs) Holding you accountable for those mice Exactly. (laughs) So, in practice, gene editing is not yet super precise science, and if the wrong gene is altered or any off-target editing happens, it could be potentially really disastrous for the patient. So, this technology has a huge potential in all kinds of diseases, but it's still being developed. Right. Hence the need for animal models. So scientists working with this technology can edit things in animals and see the consequences without having to try it on a human. And while that sounds kind of cruel. Right. That's why I was wondering about those advocates. Animal models have been a critical part of science for a very long time. A lot of what we know about our biology, including life-saving medications, treatments, can be credited to the sacrifices that these little guys make. So um, they can act as kind of a stand-in for humans with real-life threatening diseases. Yeah, this kind of animal inclusion into science I support, but on, like, makeup and other products, like, no. No, for sure. Yeah. So back to CRISPR itself. I'm not going to bore you with the history of the patents and the fights over commercialization, but let me tell you, it was surprisingly brutal. Really? There was a decade-long patent battle over CRISPR that involved lots of public statements, accusations from universities, subpoenas of everyone from graduate students to PIs and everybody in between, and it is still going on to this day. So part of it is this breakthrough made lots of people a ton of money. Sounds like it. And it made like every scientist in the world perk their ears up a little because it's really cool and a super innovative technology. And there's still a ton of work to be done and also still a ton of money to be made. So lots of researchers believe that a fully functional and controllable CRISPR system would mean the end of diseases like cancer, sickle cell disease, genetic blindness, AIDS, and even some neurological diseases like Huntington's and Alzheimer's. That would be... That's crazy. 
Yeah. Whoever figures that out. Right. Oh, exactly. Have money. So that kind of leads us into our next story. Although this technology has a very bright and promising future, lots of scientists believe that because of all the unknowns involved, it's not yet ready for human testing. And it also presents a few really big ethical concerns. Mm -hmm. If you've ever seen it, there's this futuristic movie from the 90s called Gattaca. No. It has like <laughs> Ethan Hawke and Jude Law and Uma Thurman, but basically they can make perfect human children through gene editing. That's what rich people do. But obviously only if you have the wealth and means to make that happen. That's so in this movie, the wealthy are like perfect humans, whatever. I would say go watch it. It's a thriller and it's like a pretty heavy handed ways to talk about ethical concerns of human genome editing. But that brings us to the recent scandal that totally rocked the scientific community. I feel like scandals don't really do that to scientific communities so this is not be often good, yeah right? it's a big one it's more like so-and-so man in a lab did something and everyone's like okay but this is a scandal it's a big scandal scandalous like every scientist across the world talked about this for a while Ooh. in 2018 a chinese biophysicist named he jianqui Shot. I hope I'm saying his name right. Honestly, I. that's why I looked at you like, bitch, you did good. <laughs> so he, Jean Kui, shocked everyone when he announced at an international conference in Hong Kong that for the last two years, he had been prepping and executing human CRISPR trials. <laughs> Wait. He announced it at a conference like yes. he was speaking and like he, was he surprised like, everyone. Like he happy like, birthday, but science right. style. He was like, by the way. Is he allowed to do that? No, no, right? no yeah. definitely not. Because you have to go through all sorts of, like, jump through hoops to get your trials and things approved. Exactly. Okay. So all See, of I do know stuff. Exactly. Thanks, Grey's Anatomy. So all of his experiments seem to have happened in a very, like, under-the-radar way. Mm. And we don't know whether this research was authorized by the Chinese government, by the university he was working for, or by really anyone other than Jian Kui. Oh, yeah. He was like, I'm going to do this. They were like, no. He was like, right. I'm not asking. <laughs> yes. So the result was basically this. He claimed that two human girls named Lulu and Nana were born in China, and they were the first humans born with their genomes deliberately edited with CRISPR technology. He says that he used CRISPR to edit a gene called CCR5, in which he snipped out 32 DNA nucleotides in this gene that would make the twin girls almost completely resistant to HIV. Hmm. What a lot of people probably don't know is that China is struggling with a massive HIV epidemic and has been for the last 35 years. The World Health Organization estimates that there are nearly 1.5 million people in China living with HIV. Shit. And every year they make up about 3% of the world's total new cases. So What China, is happening over there? That's a great question. That's another episode. Yeah. Additionally, the girl's father was HIV positive, uh, and their okay. parents were one pair of eight couples being recruited. In each couple recruited, the father was HIV positive, the mother was HIV negative, and the goal was to edit the embryo's genomes to make them HIV resistant and then use IVF to implant the edited embryos into the mother, gotcha. which he claims to have done. Although there's no proof now that their genomes were actually edited, this was considered like a wild thing to do. Yeah, he is wild. The parents also made claims that they didn't fully understand enough to consent and were pressured into participating, which adds another layer of weird. 
Some of the couples in the current trial say that they were seeking IVF treatments to help them conceive a baby at all, but many of them couldn't afford it mm. because you know it's expensive as hell. Yeah, it is. So, Ki Juan Kui said that basically he would do their IVF for free if they agreed to be part of this trial. Whether they fully understood what that meant or not is still being investigated, but eventually by the end of this, he threatened the parents saying that if, if they ever got cold feet and dropped out, they would have to pay him back over 42000 U.S. dollars. And these were some very poor families. Right, right. So this obviously constitutes, like, coercion mm -hmm. for them not really wanting to participate in the trial, basically taking away their ability to consent. And this ties back into what we talked about last episode with consent and, like, it being the most important thing to fully understand what you're consenting to when it comes to, like, medical anything exactly otherwise you have no control and it's so it's such a ugh, such a gross power dynamic yeah especially for like informed consent because one of the fathers in the trial said that he had actually never heard the term gene editing until news of the experiments went public he Damn. also says he he was definitely never informed that there were any kind of risks or what they were and Jean Cui almost definitely forged some ethical review documents in order to stay under the radar. So lots of crimes were being committed to cover all this up. I mean, you think he did it, right? Yeah. Yeah, he definitely did it. He at least tried to do it for sure. Okay. So what's in We're on the same page. Yeah. <laughs> what's insanely stressful about all of this is that although they claim to have done all kinds of testing on animals and human cells, they did not actually test for any potential off-target effects or confirmed that their CRISPR technology was working properly before making these changes in the two babies. So in a paper they tried to publish that was ultimately rejected from every scientific <laughs> journal they submitted it to, they actually bring up that they did not, in fact, create the desired mutation, um, just one that was, like, pretty close to it. And Ooh. a paper, <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. They're so, like, we didn't do it really, but we, like, Kind of almost. We did got it. pretty close. Yeah. Get out of here. Okay. If every scientific journal rejects what you're doing, that's not a good sign, right? It's not a great sign for sure. Yeah. It's not, you're not winning that yeah. one. Okay. So, in a paper published by the MIT Technology Review, which contains excerpts from this unpublished manuscript, also they, a manuscript? Uh, yeah. It's a scientific paper. Okay. Yeah. Because I only know that term when it comes to like, your thesis. Uh, yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. So in this paper, they also point out that the mutations they introduced may or may not actually make the girls resistant to HIV infection. We don't actually know. Because it sounds like they actually don't know. Right. He just wanted to be the first one to say something at this exactly. convention. Exactly. He just wanted to basically drop a bombshell mm -hmm. and shock everyone. Well, he did it. Yeah. We're Absolutely. Shocked. Absolutely <laughs> Good shocked. job, man. Another part of the problem is that he actually edited cells that will end up in the girls' germlines. And what that means is that all of the changes that they made will be passed on to the girls' offspring, potentially causing all kinds of downstream effects that we know literally right. nothing about. Jesus Christ. By doing this, he completely ignored the established norms for safety, ethical concerns, and protection put in place for human test subjects. It was incredibly reckless by anyone's standards. So, is he in jail? Yes. Oh, he is. Okay, good. <laughs> he was censured by the Zhuangdong Health Ministry. Good. He was fired from his university and yeah. ultimately thrown in jail for up to three years and forced to pay back over four hundred and fifty thousand U.S. dollars. Oh my gosh! Good. 
mixed up in all of this is his advisor from Houston's very own <gasps> Rice University. No. Yep. His graduate advisor, Dr. Michael Deem, who is listed as the senior author on okay. the unpublished paper. My dog, you done fucked up. <laughs> yes. So although his role is not entirely clear yet, claims have been made that he was there for at least part of it, including picking out the test subjects. Well, he has to have been if he's listed on the paper. He has to have known. Well, he's still under investigation, but his lawyers are denying that he knew anything about it. Well, then why is your name on the paper? Exactly. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So other people knew what was going on, like this guy who's going to get in trouble, hopefully. Why didn't anyone say anything? Or did they? Did they say anything? Well, not this guy. He's like, I didn't know. Right. So yes and no. Jean Cui supposedly told several U.S. academics, including three Stanford professors, what he was planning to do. But one of them, who is actually a Nobel laureate, Dr. Craig Mello, said that he was basically ambushed by a super zealous Jean Cui during an advisory meeting break and then was later informed of the actual pregnancies via email, to which he says he immediately began raising red flags. Like and to said, who, though? Well, to international science committees and stuff oh, like okay, that. Okay. But basically, the long and short of it is no one thought he would actually go through with it. What's really crazy, though, is that when he did this, neither of the girls actually had HIV at the time. Uh, okay. So he was, air quotes, protecting them from something that wasn't even really a real concern. I just feel like everyone who knows that this was going to happen should be in trouble. Most of them are. Okay, good. I love I love that because a lot of times, like, he's caught, right? So he's like, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give up all these other people. And I believe that those other people knew something because he has nothing to lose now. So the one guy is still under investigation, but the other people in his lab also went to jail for two years. Oh, that's what you get. And had to pay fines. Good. And I don't think a Chinese jail would be a good time. Mm-mm, doesn't seem like it. <laughs> so the two girls didn't have HIV. Do they have it now? Or are they okay? So <laughs> Are they safe and away from all of this? That's a great question. And that's part of the really strange part is we don't know. The names Lulu and Nana were pseudonyms used to protect their identity. But everyone is focused on how we can possibly prevent them from medical exploitation and prevent them from just becoming like walking science experiments. Yeah. This whole thing really propelled the human rights discussion forward in science because we don't know what happened to them as unsatisfying as that answer is. Dang. So I bet all these science people are like looking for them, right? Right. They're freaking exactly. out. Everyone, everyone is kind of dying to know what happened to these two girls yeah. and because Jean Cui was the one in touch with them, nobody has any way of identifying them. But didn't they interview one of the parents? Um, that they, was just a participant. That was right? one of the participants, but Dang, we don't they know didn't where they have kids like are. participant dinners or something to That's like get to question. know each other. It is literally impossible. I looked for so long to find what happened to these girls, and it's just impossible to find. Well, that's good to protect them. I yeah, guess. sure. We just want to make sure y'all are okay. Yeah. So. Basically, by nearly everyone's standard who has chosen to comment, this was a huge ethical and scientific failure. Yeah. <laughs> um, Big failure. You announce a cool thing you think you did, and then you're in jail. <laughs> right. And everyone kind of thought that this should give everyone who is thinking about doing this type of thing a huge spoonful of humility. Mm, yeah. And so where is CRISPR headed in the future? There is a lot to look forward to in terms of the future of CRISPR. About a month ago, 
The two scientists from earlier in this story, Dr. Jennifer Doudna and Dr. Emmanuel Charpentier, won the Nobel Prize in Chemistry. And that's incredibly cool because no Nobel Prize in the history of the award has ever been given to an all-fem-identifying group. Love that. Love that for them. So these two women were doing incredible work, and they're absolutely awesome. Dr. Doudna and other really cool scientists like her are on the forefront of this research, and they're championing not only science, but also ethical evaluations of how we can responsibly move this type of work forward. That's what needs to happen is people who are making the change need to also be the ones like pushing the pause button when it's needed. Exactly. When asked about her incredible Nobel Prize victory, Dr. Doudna said, oof, this is going to make me tear up, I'm afraid. It's great, especially for younger women to see this and see that women's work can be recognized as much as men's. I think for many women, there's a feeling that no matter what they do, their work will never be recognized as it might be if they were a man, and I'd like to see that change. Of course, I think this is a step in the right direction. Dr. Doudna. Shout out to her. Yeah, she's an absolute rock star. I've seen her speak at several conferences, and every single time the room has been packed like standing room only. She is incredible. Rock star. Yes. Um, I'm so completely moved to see someone like her become such a pioneer in what has been a very male-dominated field. What, science? Yes. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And I think for a lot of researchers everywhere, she sets an excellent example. So when she was asked about He Juan Kui's work, she said, I just really want to see this technology used to help people. Mm. It would be a shame if this situation blocked that. She and her colleague, Dr. Charpentier, were recently listed among Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People in the World, and she is just an all-around badass. That's so cool. Thanks for listening to this story that Sydney brought to us. Uh, Follow us on social media, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, Subscribe to us on all those podcast places. (laughs) Yeah. And if you you like the story and you want to read more about it or see my source material, Mm -hmm. it's going to be available in our episode notes. So check those out. I'll also link to a video of Dr. Doudna giving a commencement speech because she's incredible. Yeah. Let's do that. Videos of Dr. Doudna. Great. Thanks for listening. It's a malpractice podcast. Love it. Do 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 do